name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. What a great reminder in a very difficult time. You know, as Christians, we, we try to have that balance where we acknowledge the difficulties that we're going through or that others are going through, while at the same time acknowledging our faith is in Jesus Christ. And his name is wonderful, and he will see us through, and he will see the world through. However, in his great and glorious will, he chooses to do that. Having our kids up here is a great reminder that in spite of all of the difficulties that are very real, uh, the bad news that is horrifying many times, still we see a lot of hope and joy in these kids. And we also see a great future that Jesus Christ has for us. And so we meet today in great faith and we seek God's help and God's blessing on those that we are especially concerned with, our own loved ones that are going through such a hard time. And also those around the country and in distressing places such as in California with the fires and in uh, the northern part of the Gulf Coast that is facing a horrendous storm right now even as we speak. Um, So many other places in Haiti as they continue to recover from the earthquake in Afghanistan with all the the horrible, horrible, um, disastrous things that are going on there brought about uh, by evil men. And we realize that in the midst of all of this, still there is that presence of God. Uh, Still there are those who name the name of Christ and continue to live faithfully to him in spite of all of the difficult things around them. We're continuing to look ahead Uh, to our Welcome Home Sunday on the 19th, to our uh, Defending the Truth seminar with Kyle Budd of Apologetics Press, October 23rd and 24th. Uh, Next Sunday, Lanny Tucker from Eastern European Mission will be here talking about the incredible amount of Bibles that they continue to give away in Eastern Europe and in Russia. And it is just an amazing, incredible story. Uh, the wonderful success that they're having in doing that. Our adult Bible classes are going back to close to normal on September the 12th. And uh, there's just a lot of great, great things uh, going on. Uh, Tomorrow evening, our elders will be meeting and uh, they'll be reflecting some on the poll that we took last week on our Sunday night activities. We had 90 or so uh, turn in those uh, survey forms, and that's, a, that's actually a great, great thing uh, as we handed those out in our Bible classes last Sunday morning. So, um, so much, so much going on, so much that is hard to watch, hard to handle, hard to overcome. And yet in the midst of it all, there is still those reminders that Jesus loves all the little children of the world, whether they are in Tyler, Texas, or in South Louisiana, or Mississippi, or in Afghanistan. Jesus loves all the little children of the world, and his name is wonderful. We've been going through on Sunday mornings a series of lessons on Jesus and different individuals that he had interaction with, that he spent time with. Uh, while he was on this earth, as Peter shared, he lived a, a, a human life. 
and he had real conversations with people in real-life situations, and he interacted with them about those things, and it helps us because we go through the same things. Throughout this series, we've reflected on interactions and relationships that Jesus had with others during his earthly life. And so we close this series today with one last consideration, my relationship with Jesus. We've talked about his relationship with his family, his apostles, the uh, Jewish and Roman leaders of his day. We've talked about interactions on a personal level with individuals such as Nicodemus or the Samaritan woman at the well or the woman that was healed or all of those interesting and uh, encouraging stories. But they all build to today because what is of ultimate importance for us is our relationship with Christ. What is of ultimate importance to me is my relationship with Jesus. And so today we speak of Jesus and me and what he did and what he called on us to do to make it possible for us to actually have a close relationship with the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the son of God, himself. Four simple things today, first of all, separated from Jesus. Separated from Jesus. We're going to be primarily in three different passages of scripture, Ephesians 2, Titus 3, and Colossians 2. We'll mention several others that are on your handout or on the screen, some that won't be. But this first one starts in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and in Titus 3, verse 3. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Similarly, in Titus chapter 3, these words in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Aren't you glad the story doesn't start, stop there? Aren't you glad there's a verse 4 in, in Ephesians 2? There is so much there, so much there that reminds us that at one time we were all separated from Jesus. And we were separated from Jesus because of our sin. Not because of anything he did, not because of anything God did, but because of what I did. Because of my sin. And the result of my sin is I was separated from God. Isaiah 59 clearly says that. Your sins have separated you from your God. Romans 1 through 3 says everyone has sinned. The non-Jews have sinned. The Jews have sinned. All have sinned and come short of God's great glory. In fact, more than that, Romans 5 tells us that just as Peter shared in that wonderful 
meditation as we gathered around the table together. We were enemies of Christ. There was a time when we were enemies of his. And that was on us. It was because of us. But in that great passage that was shared in Romans chapter 5, there's the rest of that statement. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 5 tells us clearly that, you know, some people will die for a good cause. That's a, that's a great thing. And it's not something that everyone would do. And we've been reminded of that this week with those brave souls who are putting their lives on the line to try to get the innocent people out of Afghanistan and some who have even lost their lives doing so. Scripture tells us that, you know, there's a lot of people that would put their lives on the line for something that is good, for someone that is good. But God takes it a step further. It's not when we were his friends that he died for us. It's not when we were good that he died for us. It's when we were at our worst, our most sinful. It's when we were his enemies. That's when Christ died for us. And that is our second point today. When we were separated from Jesus because of our sin, he came and he lived and he died. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great verses in John chapter 3 that talk about how God so loved that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, would not die but have everlasting life. In John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. During our shepherd's prayer time, our shepherd David Hammond quoted from Luke chapter 19 verse 10 that talks about how Jesus came with that purpose in mind to seek and to save that which was lost. And the only way he could do that was by giving his life. It's absolutely outrageous that Jesus would do this for us. And yet he did. Not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. When it would seem like it would be the last thing someone would do for me. That's when Jesus not only put his life on the line for me, but actually gave his life for me. We read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as Paul the apostle writing to that church at Corinth reminds them of what the gospel actually is. And he spells it out. This is the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again, and that people can attest to that. This was not something that was done in a corner, and I can't wait for Kyle to get here. I can't wait for October 23rd and 24th, although we do have a few things to do in preparation. But as we're doing those things, we're looking ahead to this time when he can come and he can remind us. He can remind us, we still accept all of these things by faith, but it is a very credible faith. The resurrection is something very credible to believe because of when it happened and where it happened and who saw it and who attested to it. Even the Romans and the Jews accidentally (laughs) provided great proof that what we were hearing was true. 
by having an extra guard, knowing ahead of time that he had said he would be raised. They tried to take extra effort to make sure that tomb would stay closed, that body would still be in there, and yet it was not. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins, how he was buried, how he was raised on the third day, and how people, eyewitnesses, attested to that right there in the same city. Within days, and then actually within just a couple of months, the church began and the story began to be spread to everyone. Still right there. Not far at all from where that tomb was. That tomb that was now empty. Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God. I love the holy Lamb of God. That wonderful Twyla Paris song we sang earlier reminds us and calls us to remember the crucified and resurrected Savior. That is the gospel. Paul tells the Romans, I'm not ashamed to tell that story. I'm not ashamed to share that gospel anywhere. Even in the center of the Roman Empire, I can share that story because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the non-Jew. We see that in chapter three as he delineates. This is exactly how we're saved. We were separated from God. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. Yes, Romans three tells us that, but it tells us that in the context of the gospel. It tells us that in the context of saying, because everyone has sinned, everyone is available to be forgiven through the blood of Christ. What a great, great gospel that is. That while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were separated from God, Christ died for us. And he was raised from the dead. And now we have a living hope. Well, so then we ask, okay, so what now? And that means one of two things. It means everybody is saved no matter what, since Jesus died and was raised. Or it means there's a response of faith. It's not something that we do to earn salvation, but it's something that we respond to out of a heart that's given over in conviction and love and humility to the one who died for us. We were separated from Jesus. We hear the gospel of Jesus, how he died for our sins, and then we are saved by Jesus. And so this is when we go back to our verses in Ephesians 2 and in Titus 3, first of all, and in a moment in Colossians 2. The first three verses of Ephesians 2 talk about how we were dead in our sins. And then beginning in verse 4, we read this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, verse 8. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast." 
The verses in Titus 3, beginning in verse 4, follow along almost exactly the same. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And now we go to Colossians 2 and read verses 9 through 15. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by or in Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. All three of these passages, Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, And Titus 3, they all share the same message. They all share the message of the gospel. How we were dead in our sins and how God made us alive through Jesus Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And it is by grace you have been saved, as Paul says, through faith. Yes, there is a response. It is the response of faith. It's the response that says, I believe in this story. I believe in that blood that was shed for me. And I'm willing to act on that belief. Biblical faith is an active faith. And so it talks about how we respond by faith. And and we can't glory in that, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, because even that is the gift of God. We can't take pride in our response of faith. We can't look at others in a haughty or arrogant way as if we're better than them because we have responded by faith, because we have repented or we have confessed or we have been baptized. That is the gift of God. And it in no way earns us salvation. It in no way earns us forgiveness. Because without the blood of Jesus being shed, none of that matters. None of it matters. We simply could not save ourselves. We would have had to stay in that situation where we were his enemies and we were separated. But because he died for us, there is a response of faith. As Paul writes in Titus 3 that we just read, he says, it is through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Hearkening back, perhaps, to that interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, when Jesus told that Jewish leader, you must be born of water and the Spirit, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Paul would later say, In Mark chapter 16, we read how 
the gospel is this. We're called upon to preach the gospel to every creature. The one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The one who does not believe will be condemned. In John chapter 3, that call to be born again of water and spirit. In Acts chapter 2, that call to repent, to change your life. In that first gospel sermon that, that Peter preaches and that the other apostles are preaching. And then they're asked the question, what do we do? I believe what you're saying is true. What now? And Peter says, because Jesus died for you, there is an answer to that question. And it is to repent, to change your life, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, who died for you and who was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins through that blood, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip was talking to that Ethiopian treasurer, that man became so convinced that the, of this message that he asked Peter, look, or asked Philip, hey, why can't I be baptized? <laughs> Philip didn't have to nudge him on. He was saying, stop the chariot, man. What's keeping us from doing this right now? And as he expresses his belief in confession, he is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The same with the Roman jailer in Philippi, that important Roman colony. As Paul and Silas are in jail on their mission journey for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're singing hymns and God delivers them, provides that great earthquake in Acts 16 and yet they stay right there and they save that man's physical life and then he throws himself at their feet and he says, what must I do to save my spiritual life, my eternal life? What must I do to be saved? The answer came back, believe. And you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and all your family will be saved. And then they continue teaching him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that very same hour of the night, that man and all of his family were baptized into Jesus Christ. And they went back to the jail and the man and his family rejoiced. Why? Because they had come to believe in Jesus. They had responded by faith and in faith. Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was told by a very nervous Ananias, what are you waiting for, man? You've been praying, you've been fasting for three days. You saw Jesus on the road. Of course you believe. Of course you repent. But there's still something you need to do to wash your sins away. Arise, get up, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name, calling on his name. During our communion, Peter shared that when Jesus was here and someone would call him by name, he would turn. What a great image that was, brother. He still does that. He still does that. If you will call on Jesus' name, he will answer. He will turn and he will respond and he will save. And that's what Ananias told Saul of Tarsus that day. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling upon 
his name. We were separated from Jesus and he gave his life for us on the cross and he was raised from the dead. And when we respond by faith, we're saved by Jesus. And we ask the question again, now what? (laughs) Is that the end? And if God was only concerned with our salvation, that would be the end. But he's not. For God so loved the world in all of its sin and all of its horror and all of its trouble. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so now that we're saved by Jesus, we spend our lives living for Jesus. Living for Jesus and what a blessing it is. And so again, we turn back to those passages of scripture, starting in Ephesians 2 verse 10. After hearing that we were dead in our sins and that God saved us by grace through our response of faith, Now in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Very similar to Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Titus 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And now going back to Colossians chapter 2 and reading verses 6 through 8. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When we're dead in our sins, Jesus comes and he lives and he dies for us and God raises him from the dead and he ascends to heaven and he starts his church and now we're a part of that church. And now what? Now... We commit our lives to doing good. We are God's workmanship created in him to do good works, good deeds. Not deeds, not works that can save us. We're already saved. We couldn't save ourselves. That's the gospel. Jesus died and saved us. Now, the question is, does it matter? Is anything different? Or am I going to continue to just live for myself? To do the things that I want to do? To do the things that I think will benefit me? Or will I spend my life living for this one who died for me? Later in Colossians in chapter 3, Paul talks about how We are to spend our lives looking up, looking toward the one who will come again, concentrating and reflecting and living our lives based on things above, not on things that are here. We're aware of these things and we try to act to help down here, 
but we recognize that our ultimate hope and our ultimate life is in heaven, in the presence of the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. But what's more important in the presence of my savior, our savior. And so as Colossians 3 continues on and talks about that life, it sums it up. Paul does in verse 17 when he says, everything we say, everything we do is done to honor God. It's done in the name of Jesus Christ through a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's what Paul says to the Romans is living according to the spirit in chapter eight. It's living that new life that we've been raised to live out of that watery grave of baptism in Romans chapter six. It's making our lives living sacrifices, putting ourselves on the cross in a symbolic way. Seeing our lives continue in this world, but being transformed, living for Jesus. Faith without works is dead. That's what James 2 says. That's what Ephesians 2 says in verse 10. That's what Titus 3 says in verse eight. That's what Colossians 2 says. We've been saved to live for Jesus. We've been saved to do good at every opportunity. We were separated from Jesus and then the gospel of Jesus, he came and he lived and he died and he was buried and he was raised to life again. And now we've been saved by Jesus through the response of faith. And so we're going about living for Jesus. So as we close this series today, We close it with this question. How are things right now between you and Jesus? Sure, the preacher in me loves talking about the Samaritan woman and Jesus, talking about the apostles and Jesus, Paul the apostle and Jesus, Pilate and Jesus. Those are fun things for me to think about and even preach about. But my question today The one question of vital importance right now, this second, right here in this auditorium, wherever you are watching this online, is this question. How is your relationship with Jesus? How are things right now between you and Jesus? And if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, then we would love for you to do that. We would love to help you understand that, love to help you guide yourself through that and make that happen. If you've done that, but you've been away from Jesus, you've separated yourself again from this one who died for you. If you will call his name, he will turn and he will respond because more than anything else, he wants to have that relationship with you and he wants it to be close. He wants to be close to you. How are things right now between you and Jesus? You know, I wouldn't want to wish the last couple years on any generation. (laughs) But here's what difficult times do. It is not a shallow faith that can survive difficult times. It is not a faith that is just on the surface that makes it through hard, troubling days, weeks, months.
we are in the middle of. How are things right now between you and Jesus? If we can help there, come as we stand and sing our song together.